Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. What a morning. What a good start. God is in the house. The tears are flowing. You ladies are out. Hey, you may be seated, everyone. So good to have you in the house. Welcome to C3 Noosa. I might steal that. Thanks, if I can. Thank you very much. Just very quickly, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm part of the team here at C3 Noosa. I would love you, if this is your first time or your first few times, if you haven't got one of these, just grab them. They're up the back. Take them with you. They really just tell you a little bit more about us, who we are. There's a whole lot of information you can find out in there just to help get you connected in. So grab one of those if you can. That would be good. Well, here we are in the month of March, and we are closing out the series on getting back to basics, right? Getting back to basics, and I love that, because really, when you strip away all the fluff and the decorations and uh, the glitter, if you will, what is it that we believe? What is our faith all about? What really is our Christianity all about? And I want to jump straight into the Word this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to come with me to the book of Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament. And we're going to read from chapter 16, verse 13. And it says this, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? And so they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And He said to them, But who do you say... That I am. And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And also I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose. In heaven. So here's Jesus coming into Caesarea with his disciples, and he poses these two questions to him. Firstly, he said, Guys, who is it that people say that I am? During this time that we've had together, during this time that you've traveled with me, that we've done ministry together, the people we've seen, the places we've been, what are people saying? What are you hearing about me? And what I love about Jesus is that he never asks a question just for questions' sake. And so he puts his questions to his disciples, knowing what it is that they'll answer. And they say, well, Lord, some say that you are John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And what Jesus is doing is he's helping his disciples become aware of something that happens to all of us as we spend time on this earth. Because the world, by its design in its brokenness, wants to constantly give you the narrative by which you must live your life. Right? The world constantly wants to try to push you to conform to its pattern of thinking and its ways of behaving. And so we often define our experiences and our choices and our beliefs through filters. Right? Filters that we gain through just experiences that we have as we live in this time on earth. And so for some, it's an experience of pain. Maybe it's hurt. Maybe it's regret. For others, it's an experience of being successful, being Independent For some, it's filters given to us by others. But these filters have the potential to change and distort 
what is actually real and what is actually true. And so here the disciples, having walked intimately with Jesus for three years, having witnessed firsthand his miracles and his ministries, but also witnessing firsthand the haters, right, and the doubters, becoming well acquainted in that time with the religious institution that was constantly pushing back on Jesus, constantly refuting his claims, constantly disagreeing and arguing with them. And so just like you and I, in the frailty of our humanity, so these men too would have come into seasons of their lives where they had to struggle with what filter is it that I'm going to see Jesus through, right? Because what if not all the haters were wrong? What if even some of what the Pharisees were saying was true? What if this teacher isn't who he says he's cracked up to be? Because the reality is I've left everything. I've left my home. I've left my family. I've left my security, my job, who I think I am, to follow this person. What if he's just a fanatical on some campaign that's eventually going to end in a whole lot of disappointment and persecution? And so Jesus, understanding this and hearing this, asks him a second question. Guys, that's great. I get who you think other people say that I am, but I want to ask you, who do you say that I am? And he grounds the conversation very quickly, and he gets to the heart of, the, of it with the disciples. Who am I to you? And why does he press this question? Because what you believe and what you know can be two very different things. Have you ever had someone tell you about someone else over time, that this person is very difficult to be around, they're moody, they're grumpy, those people that you kind of got walk on eggshells around, and over time, you find yourself believing it until you have the opportunity to meet that person, yeah. and to your surprise, they're actually completely different to what you thought. But you've come to believe what this person is, your perspective changes once you know who they are. You've seen someone through a filter someone else has given you. And so what I want to say this morning is that when it comes to Jesus, it's not about what you know, but it's who you know that makes the difference, that matters, that enables you to build your life on a solid foundation, on this rock. The revelation of who Jesus is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, God says, I'll build my church on that. It's that relational intimacy with God that allows us to push back the gates of hell in our lives. That enables us to bind and loose on earth as it is in heaven. Why is it now more than ever that we are seeing churches that are impotent in their influence, they're lacking a voice, they become just devoid of passion and purpose for which Christ commissioned us? And why is it that we see so many people that are just lukewarm in their faith, in what they believe, never really choosing to go deeper as Pastor Melissa was saying, into relationship with Jesus. Could it be in an age of self-sufficiency, in a society that celebrates lifting up the individual, in a society that, that values above all else the accumulation of knowledge, the accumulation of technological advance, that we've simply become satisfied in what we think we believe, and we've just decided to stop chasing after the one that we actually need to know. And are we becoming a people in a church that's spoken about in Revelations in chapter 2, verse 2? It says, I know your works and your labor and your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, 
and you have persevered and you have patience and you've labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you've left your first love. The title of my message this morning is this, who do you know? The question I want to ask you this morning is this, is Jesus, in fact, your first love? Does Jesus, in fact, have first place in your life? Where does Jesus sit on your priority listings for 2023? And I say that not just tongue-in-cheek or to get the brain thinking, but I say that because it's so important to understand that at the very heart of God, is his desire that you would be drawn to him and that he would know you intimately. Before anything else, before call, before mission, before ministry, before community outreach, God wants you to know him. He wants you to enter into intimate relationship with him. And he wants you to fall in love with him. And honestly, it's a hard question to to answer if we're just being real for a minute, right? Because to fall in love with somebody or to sustain intimate relationship with somebody requires intentionality. It requires an investment on our behalf. It requires work. But before I get ahead of myself, what is the alternative? I want to ask you that. What is the alternative? Come with me to the book of Mark, and here we find Jesus on mission, and he's entering into his hometown of Nazareth. Mark chapter 6, verse 1, it says this, Then he went out from there and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this with which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? This is amazing. Who is this person that's come into our village with this power and this authority But then it says this, is this not, oh hang on a second, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended. So here is Jesus, the same wisdom, truth, and power in which he ministered, that we're drawing multitudes towards him as he did miracle after miracle. In the same situation now, all it's doing is bringing offense. Why? What's going on? Because in the context of what these people knew, and in the context of what was familiar to them, within the limits of their understanding, they actually saw Jesus through a filter of their own experiences, and it limited what he could do. That blows my mind. People choosing to see Jesus through a context of what they think they know, hang on, who is this person? No, this is the carpenter. This is... The young Jesus who grew up with Joseph and Mary, here's his siblings. Hang on, who does he think he is? The scripture says that Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching When we relegate Jesus to a category in our lives, when we begin to allow familiarity and complacency to creep in, that says, hey, you know what? I know Jesus. I know this Jesus. He's part of my life. He's part of my routine. He's part of my calendar. And we we limit him based on our understanding. 
I know what Jesus can and can't do. And we begin to bring him down into a place where we relate to him like we do our earthly relationships and our earthly responsibilities and our earthly obligations. And we stop ourselves going deeper with him because we think we know him. We've got him figured out. And instead what happens is we allow ourselves just to stay in those shallow waters of our faith. We never choose to go deeper. Why? Because in the shallow waters it's safe. We understand it. And we know it. It's a comfort zone. But I want to challenge you this morning, church. What miracles are you foregoing? What breakthrough are you forfeiting? What purpose are you sacrificing by not choosing to go deeper with Jesus? By not choosing. Because I want to tell you, the life that you were created to live is one that is meant to go deeper with Jesus. Because when you go deeper with Jesus, he begins to unlock purpose. Yeah. It begins to move through you and do what you can't do in and of yourself. It's a life that is meant to be full of blessing and influence and breakthrough. Where God is glorified through your life. It's meant to be one full of the Holy Spirit giving you revelation on who this Jesus is. Bringing revelation and conviction in your world that your understanding can't do on its own. It can never bring it for you. And Solomon, in all his wisdom, says this to us in Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Your own understanding is not a good indicator of who Jesus is. It's not a good indicator of what Jesus can do. He says, don't lean on it, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. So I want to encourage you this morning, getting back to basics. Is first about learning how to abide, and second about doing. Amen. John 15, verse 4, Pastor Christian spoke brilliantly around this a few weeks ago. It says this, Abide in me, and I in you, and as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me, you can do nothing. And I want to show you how even in church life, we tend to look at our faith through filters. Because we know spending time in this world that how do we measure success? Success is measured by the outcome, by what we achieve, about what people fall into, what they gain, what they possess, what they've laid their hands on. It's that end result. Wow, that person must be successful. And so we come into church life believing the same holds true for our faith. The success of any believer surely must then be measured on the fruit that they carry in their life. If I'm doing this life well, then I must be bearing a lot of fruit. The more fruit I have, surely the more successful I am as a Christian. After all, what does Scripture say? That by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So God wants it, I'm going to try and achieve it. And so what do we do? We get busy, right? And we're at every church service. We're running a connect, we're serving faithfully, we're investing our time in the community outreach, we're doing everything that we need to do, we attend every prayer meeting, we're going 100 miles an hour, and we stop every now and then to self-audit and go, well, where's the fruit? What does it look like? And perhaps to our dismay, the fruit basket's not really that full. 
And so we go, oh, I've got to get, I've got to go deeper, I've got to go harder, I've got to do this better. And so we commit further, and we keep attending, and we now do two services on a Sunday, and we're running two connects, and we're, we're praying, we're doing everything else we can do, we're learning the temple so we can dance at church one day. We're just going, 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 and then we self-audit again and go, well, how's this looking? Maybe the fruit basket's still not that full. Why don't I have peace in my life? Why is the blessing not flowing? Why am I not receiving this miracle? Why am I still struggling with the same struggles? And so we go again and again and again, and we enter into the cycle where eventually what happens is we get discouraged. We get a bit resentful. We get a bit frustrated. And so then what happens? Well, maybe we were in the shallow waters, but now we take a step out of the waters. Now we're just on a dry ground. We're in a dry place. We walk away. Right? But herein lies one of the biggest cons of the devil, church. Because you see, when we, we tend to miss what Jesus is saying in the scripture, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Could it be that maybe we're trying to bear much fruit, but we've forgotten how to abide? Could it be that we're trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus without actually knowing Jesus? Could it be that we are trying to know the what without knowing the who? And maybe Jesus is saying to you and I this morning, forget about the what. If you would commit yourself to knowing the who, the what will follow. Because we tend to chase the fruit, which is actually the byproduct of someone knowing how to abide in Christ. So maybe we as a church should be teaching our people how to abide well and believe the fruit will follow. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first him and all these things will be added unto you. Amen. Amen. But if the devil, you see, if the devil can keep us busy, if he can keep us juggling, if he can keep us spinning those plates, how do we begin again to develop that lifestyle of simply abiding with Jesus? How do we return to our first love? Well, Jesus sets the foundation for us in Matthew 16, verse 24. He says, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. At the very heart of the scripture is this idea of surrender. It's this idea of sacrifice, of giving up what you think you want most to choose what you actually need most. To trust God enough with the outcome of your life to surrender it and surrender your time and simply begin to invest in Him. You see, the enemy will fight you the hardest in your life at those moments where you make a choice, I'm going to surrender my time. Why does he fight you the hardest there? Because if he can break connection between you and God, if he can interfere with you becoming intimate with God, he knows he's won the battle. So at those moments and decisions where you go, you know what, it's a new year, it's a new day, I'm going to spend time with God. How many know that's where it becomes the hardest to spend time with God? And so what happens is that the enemy just, think about it, why is it just so hard? We say to church all the time, just get in your Bible every day, church, just spend that time with them. Yet I can guarantee if we're being honest and we put hands up, which we won't, how many maybe haven't had that time with God this week? How many haven't had that time in the Word of God this week? We look at our week and we look at our calendars and our responsibilities and our obligations and the weight of the world on our shoulders and the 
challenges we've got to fix, and in all the chaos, God simply wants to whisper into your life, son and daughter, would you just stop and come back to me? Would you just stop? And you know what? I never understood that verse. He who wants to keep his life will lose it, and he who loses his life will keep it. What are you trying to say? And then he spoke to me so clearly. He said, Justin, this is about trusting me enough to surrender your life that if you lay it down at my feet, I will let you pick up the life that I have for you, the life that I have created you to live. But until you take that step of faith to trust him, you'll never know. And so here is God trying to speak to us in the middle of the chaos to say, would you just trust me enough to understand that if you meet with me, I have you. I've got your life. I've got your family. I've got your kids. I've got your future. But I want to meet with you and I want to connect with you. You see, the Word of God says that without Jesus, we can do nothing. That without staying grafted into that vine, drawing that strength and that sustenance from Jesus, it says eventually you will find things in your life and your life beginning to wither and die. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. Yet without Jesus, we try and do everything. And that's the madness, right? That's the that's the filter through which the world wants you to look and say, you're all you need to be successful. You're all you need to make it. You're all you need to overcome. You're all you need for breakthrough. Don't worry about staying grafted. It's on your shoulders. You can do it. You're the champion. But Jesus is saying, I haven't designed you that way. I haven't created you that way. I want you to come back to me. And so if that is you that morning, this morning, I want to ask you, friend, would you stop? And would you come back? To the basics of who is it that you know? Do you know Jesus? And how do we push back against that struggle we face to abide? I want to tell you, you push back by developing strategic habits in your life. Now for those of you that are wanting the deep spiritual answer to get you back on track, I'm sorry to disappoint you, there isn't one. But the truth that you need to hear instead is this, that the habits you have today will shape who you become tomorrow. The habits you have today will shape who you become tomorrow. And if the habits you have today will shape who you become tomorrow, then the question I have for you is this, do you like the direction your habits are taking you? Do you like the direction your habits are taking you? Because what you have to understand is this, intentions do not determine direction. Hope alone is not enough to change a life. Habits are. Habits are developing intimacy with Christ in your life is actually going to require you to develop the habits, godly habits in your life of spending time with Him, time in prayer, time at His feet. Amen. Galatians 6 7 says, Do not be deceived. Why? Because God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will reap of the flesh corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will reap of the Spirit everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Do not be deceived. God is not bought for what a man sows, that he will reap. Paul is essentially giving us two options there. He says, in this life you will either sow to the flesh, sow to your sinful nature, sow to what you want to do, or you'll sow to the things of God. You'll sow into your spirit, the things that God leads you to. He says, one will... Reap death and destruction, the other will reap life. What is it that you want to choose? You reap what you sow. 
Do you like the directions your habits are taking you? Do you like the harvest that is coming because of the seeds that you are sowing in your life? And if you're not happy with the harvest that's been reaped in your life, perhaps it's a time and a season for you to start sowing different seed. To start developing different habits in your life. Amen. Jesus himself demonstrates the importance of sowing and staying connected in the vine. Luke 5.16. So he himself often withdrew and prayed. Mark 1.35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Jesus is not afraid of people that aren't morning people, right? Here the Bible says, long before the sun had risen, it was still dark, the birds were sleeping. Jesus got up and he went out to a departed place and he prayed. I want you to think about this for a minute. Jesus being completely divine was completely human at the same time. Being completely human, he spent his days ministering, pouring out, juggling, dealing with oppression, looking after his disciples, ministering, laying his hands, explaining, dealing with people that didn't get it, dealing with the haters. Jesus understood the juggle, right, that we face. Wherever Jesus wanted to go, there was no Uber getting him from point A to point B. He walked. So if he wanted to, he had to walk and then walk some more and walk some more and walk some more. If Jesus was wearing a Fitbit, he would have broken it because he just kept walking. Right? That's all he did, he just walked. So Jesus in his humanity would get to the end of every day feeling the weight of being tired. Feeling exhausted. Feeling drained. Yet the scripture says that early in the morning, having risen a long time before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. There he played. Jesus, why not sleep? Why not hit the snooze for five more minutes? Just get the rest you need to keep going. Jesus explains to us why in John 8, 28. Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that nothing I do of myself, but as my father told me, I speak these things, and he who has sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. Jesus understood this. Even though he was sent on divine mission by God, his ministry would not work. He could do nothing without staying plugged in to the father. He could do nothing apart from what the father had sent him to do. And in order to understand exactly what it is that the Father had sent him to do, he had to position himself in a place where he was intimately connected with God to hear, spend time, pray, listen, and come out from that place filled, but also with an understanding of what it is that God is asking him to do. Jesus could have been all that he was, but without staying connected to the Father, I want you to get that this morning. He had to listen. He had to stop. He had to pray. If Jesus had to do it, how much more do you and I need to do it? I'm telling you, church, this is so crucial. Because when the time came for Jesus down on his knees, sweating blood in the garden of Gethsemane, I believe the only reason he was able to go through with it is because of the times he spent knowing his Father, trusting his Father. The Bible says, God, if it's possible, take this cup away from me, but not my will, your will. Not my will. The only way you come to be able to say, not my will, but your will in your life is when you trust him. God, I don't see it all figuring out, but I know you. I know your word. I know your voice. 
I know you're faithful. I know your promises. So even though I don't know what's going to happen, I know you. So I can trust you. And because I trust you, I'll be obedient to what it is that you're asking me. Why is it that we can't be obedient in life? Perhaps it's because we don't trust him. We don't really believe God's got you. God's got you in his hand. Why don't we believe that? Potentially we're not staying connected in the vine. And maybe that's you. Justin, I want to go deeper. I want to come back to the vine. I want to connect back with Jesus. Well, I want to get practical with you for a minute. If that is you, every day you've got to determine how it is that you're going to spend that time with God. How it is that you're going to start that communion, that habit of communion with Him. Do we have any readers in the house this morning? Anyone who likes to read? Well, those four, three, five people that like to read, the rest of you need to start reading. All right, come on. Get a book. It's good for you. I want to highly recommend you get your hands on the latest release from Pastor Craig Rochelle. He runs an amazing church in the States. It's called The Power to Change, Mastering the Habits that Matter Most. It's a brilliant book about helping you make the changes, godly changes you need to make in your life to go to the next level, to break through a little bit deeper. And maybe for some of you, your track record of habits are not great, right? Who's, I've been preaching this a couple of weeks ago. We come to the beginning of the year, we've got all these things we want to achieve, and we start strong, and we've got the vision board, and we've got our motivational this, that, and the next. And by now, the vision board's gone. We don't even know where it's gone. I can't remember the habits we had. We're eating more ice cream than we started at the beginning of the year, right? Honestly, that's me. That's me. That's, that's the way I work sometimes as well. So I want to just very quickly, I know we're running out of time, very quickly give you five key things Pastor Greg talks about that are going to help you develop strategic, godly habits in your life. They're going to help develop intimacy between you and Jesus. The first one is this is make your habit obvious. Make your habit obvious. That sounds obvious, but make your habit obvious, right? Our brain tends to do what's in front of us. If you're not reading your word, put your Bible somewhere that's going to remind you every day, oh, that's right, I'm going to read my word. Maybe it's by your bedside table. Maybe it's on the kitchen bench. Make it obvious, right? Maybe you need to download the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, set an alarm, make it your home screen page. Whatever it is, make it obvious that it's going to help remind you to spend time in the Word of God. Make it obvious. Second, make it attractive. We like to do things that feel good because when you do something that feels good, it releases a feel-good hormone in your brain yeah. called dopamine, yeah. which you can buy on the shelves. I buy heaps of it, you can't. It's only on the inside of you that it happens. But when you do something that feels good, you produce dopamine and you start getting the dopamine hit. You want to keep doing it because it feels good. So make it attractive. What do I mean? Well, if you're talking about the Word of God, maybe... Determine you're going to read the Word of God in that favorite chair. Maybe it's sitting by a window looking out over your favorite view. Maybe it's putting on that perfect cup of coffee in the morning, that smell of coffee. I'm telling you, the smell of coffee in the Word of God is all I need. Apart from my beautiful wife, that's all I need. Right. Just make it attractive. Maybe it's putting on some worship music when you do it. Make it so that you don't want to miss out on doing it every day. Maybe it's journaling. If you're a journaler, spend time journaling, but make it attractive. Make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy. You know, experts tell us that the first time you start habit, it should technically take you less than two minutes to start to do. Obviously, you build on that, but make it easy. Don't go away from it going, great, because of Justin's message, I'm going to read one book of the Bible every day. I'm telling you that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen for long. 
make it easy. Just spend the time, five, ten minutes. I set a challenge out there a couple of weeks ago, 20 minutes. I'm not going to do the show of hands again, but what I'm saying is make it easy, right? Our brains tend to choose the path of least resistance. We'll want to go with what's easy over what's, what's hard. So maybe make it easy. Make it communal. Now, what I mean by make it communal? So make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, make it communal. What I mean by communal is get yourself around people that are going to champion you to invest in godly habits. That are going to model for you what it means to live a life based on godly disciplines and godly habits. Because here's the thing, to live your life right is very hard to do with the wrong friends. To live your life well is very hard to do with the wrong people in your life. Yes, we're called to be a light and and an outreach to people that don't know Christ. But I'm talking about iron sharpening iron. So maybe start somewhere, get into a connect group, come together with people around the Word of God, come together with people that will pray and help encourage you to develop a lifestyle of prayer. Make it communal. Start somewhere with people that are already doing it and doing it well. Get alongside them. You'll catch what's on their life. Number five, make it repetitious. The more you do something, the easier it becomes, right? The, the brain, again, develops these new neural pathways. The first time you start something, little synapses start firing in your brain. You start forming new pathways. And the more you do it, the stronger those pathways become, right? Who remembers the first time you had to do something? Maybe it was at work five, ten years ago, and it was hard. And you had to learn something. And it took you time. And you felt like a turkey trying to do these things. And that now, you can almost do them without thinking about them. The more you do something, the easier it becomes, Develop godly habits in your life, they will draw you closer to Christ. The closer you come to Christ, the more you stay connected in the vine. I'm telling you, your life changes. How do you develop habits? Make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, make it communal, make it repetitious. I might get the bad up if I can't this morning. Why don't we stand up? We're going to finish this off. Coming back to basics. Coming back to basics, I want to tell you, church, we've got to become a people that develop the lifestyle of abiding first. Abiding first. I have no doubt that as we do that, God will bring the fruit. Personally, community as a church. But I want to just say this truth to you this morning. You know, there's a premise to the promise of intimacy, and the premise is this. You've got to draw near. You've got to draw near. And I want to say this and I want to speak into your heart this morning because we forget this as we journey the years out in our Christianity. God calls us to draw near. The Bible says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. I want you to hear this this morning, if nothing else. You and I have the power to decide how deep we go with God. I want to let that sit for a second. You and I, not God, you and I hold all the power to decide how deep we want to go with God. Because the deeper you want to go, God will take you. The higher you want to go, the more God will show you. And here's the crazy thing, church. There is no limit to how deep God can take you. There is no limit to how high God can take you. Isn't that crazy? 
What an adventure to be had. God extending the invitation to you and I. If you will choose, then I'm there. The deeper you want to go, I'm with you. The higher you want to climb, I'm with you. But would you draw near? Will you make a decision in your life to stay grafted to me? Church, he knows the chaos, he knows the juggle, he knows the struggle, he knows your responsibilities, he knows all the pressures that are on you right now. But he still would whisper to you, would you trust me to lay it down and understand if you would choose to draw near, you will find new life. New life in me, new life, life that I purposed you to live. But you've got to come to the altar. You want to come to the altar? Stop waiting for God to make the first move. You make it. Stop, you know, I hear so many times. When God speaks to me, Justin, I'm just waiting for that confirmation. I'm waiting for that, should I do this? I'm waiting for God to do something. I'm waiting for a situation to change. No, I'm telling you now, make a decision. God, I'm drawing near In the middle of my circumstances, whatever it is that I'm facing, God, you called me to draw near, so I'm drawing near. I'm trusting you. I'm laying it down. God, and I'm coming back to you. Would you speak with me? Would you show me? Would you speak into my world? Would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you strengthen me? Would you give me wisdom and discernment for what I'm facing? I'm telling you, church, the invitation is there. God is simply asking, how deep do you want to go? How deep do you want to go? You know, Michelle, as we were worshiping earlier, I wanted to just share a word. I felt God say, I saw you in a place where you've been on your knees and you've been faithful and you've been and you remain where people have left, you've remained. And I see you almost on a headland, it's dry ground, it's barren ground, but you've been there faithfully, waiting on God, not forsaking that space. And I, as we're worshiping, I heard clearly the footsteps of God just drawing near. That He's coming towards you. That he's going to meet with you again. And I see him picking you up. And I see him dancing with you. And as you're dancing together, just you and him, I see new life coming up from under that ground that's being dry. And God said, explain this, that it's not just about dancing, but what it is, is he's going to show you a new intimacy with him. That as he moves, you're going to move. As he turns, you're going to turn. He's holding you close to him because he loves you. And you've given everyone else and sacrificed yourself, but I feel the footsteps of grace and mercy towards you. He says, daughter, I'm going to pick you up, and we're going to have time together, and I'm going to show you deeper things. And new life is coming up from the ground that was dry. Maybe you thought this is barren to the touch, but Jesus says, I'm going to bring new life and new hope, and I'm putting a new song on inside of you that is not just about others, but I actually care about you, and I have a future and a purpose for you. If you would dance with me, daughter... I'll take you deeper. I'll take you deeper. Church, why don't you just close your eyes and lift your hands this morning. Father, I thank you that you are a God who desires us more than anything else. You love us with a furious love that will never leave nor forsake us. God, and I just declare by faith that we are a church and a people that today make a decision we're going to go deeper. 
We're going to lay down distractions and the struggles at the altar. God, we want to go deeper because there's a purpose and a plan that you have for us to see your name glorified, not only in our own lives, but in this community as we lift up the name of Jesus. And God, we're not scared to go deeper. We push back against complacency. We push back against familiarity. God, we don't put you in a box. We lift you high above every other name. You are first place. God, we declare this morning you are first place in our lives and in this church. God, would you take us deeper? Would we go further? Would we press in to the depths of our faith to see you do exceedingly, abundantly, what we could never dare to dream or imagine? God, I thank you. We open our hearts and our lives to you this morning. Jesus. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.